0: Thank you so much for joining us for Ankeny Gospel Church Podcast. On this podcast, you can find sermons, classes, and other resources that
1: continue to invite us into the mission of Jesus and the journey of faith. We hope this is a blessing to you, and if we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out. Good morning. My name is Kyle. Uh, I will be reading scripture today. Our scripture is uh, Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 through 15, and it reads, Jesus sent out these twelve after giving them instructions. Don't take the road that leads to the Gentiles and don't enter any Samaritan town. Instead, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim, The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those with leprosy, drive out demons. Freely received, freely give. Don't acquire gold, silver, or copper for your money belts. Don't take a traveling bag for the road or an extra shirt sandals or staff for the worker is worthy of his food when you enter any town or village find out who is worthy and stay there until you leave greet a household when you enter it and if the household is worthy let your peace be upon it but if it is unworthy let your peace return to you if anyone does not welcome you or listen to your words shake the dust off your feet when you leave that house or town truly i tell you it will be more tolerable on the Day of Judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than that, for that town. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God.
0: I think. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be back. It seems like I've been gone for a while. as we uh, continue through our study in the book of Matthew, I just couldn't help but just reflect on where we have been and where we have come to this point. Matthew, this time, and I, I've read through Matthew several times, Matthew is one of my go-to books. Matthew, James, Philippians, uh, they're some of my favorites. And so I've been in Matthew a lot in my life, And yet, this study that we have been going through, for me, has been very impactful. And I have loved experiencing the book of Matthew together as a church, as we see God's plan unfold for us in the scriptures. See if any of these statements resonate with you as I was reflecting on how our study has impacted my life. Our study has impacted me by challenging my personal biases, and by that I mean I thought I knew a lot about Matthew, and as we looked at it honestly and deeply, I had to let go of some of the things that I had previously thought or just glossed over, and it had challenged me in that way. It deepened my understanding of God's plan, and it has stoked within me a love and appreciation for what God has done and what God is doing in the already but not yet. God is at work. The series, unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, has revealed strongholds in my life that I didn't even know were there. The series has been ripping loose the idols in my life by forcing me to choose between my kingdom and his kingdom. As we've been looking at on earth as it is in heaven, bringing the the kingdom of heaven to earth, it stood in stark contrast to some areas of my life, and I had to let go of those things. It's also helping me to have ears to hear and eyes to see. I was raised in a a biblical tradition that had a high value of scripture, but largely saw righteousness in this lifetime as something that was unattainable. The, The practical result of that teaching was that I lived a life thinking that I was doomed to a life of misery and failure as a rotten sinner saved by grace, just hoping that someday I would be saved and it would all be fine. This study in the book of Matthew has turned that around for me in a big way. I don't want to feel guilty all the time anymore. That's not God's plan. That's not what this is about. I loved what Parker said. We shouldn't be living lives of shame because God doesn't see us that way. He loves us. And Matthew has been tremendously encouraging for me, with the truth that God does have a greater righteousness for us today. We are not victims of our sin to live in misery and failure. God has something greater for us today. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, where he says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. You say, well, I can't be perfect. No, that's not what i saying. It's saying there is a greater righteousness that we can have than that he is set out for us Matthew six thirty three. says but I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided to you I've always focused on the things that will be provided for me and not the righteousness the righteousness is what I am striving for what I want to focus on what I want to think about what I want to ingrain in my life as I was thinking about those passages in Matthew it, it made me think about a passage in first Peter First Peter 1.8 says, though I have not seen him, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him and rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy. Because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Think about that. That's what he has for us now. Joy, inexpressible ineffable, too great or extreme to be expressed or described by words. That's what we should be feeling. And for me, the challenge and the encouragement for me is, is that true of my life? Or am I letting the weight of life snuff that out? Am I letting bad theology keep that from being a reality in my life? This study for me has been transformative And I hope for you, it is too. Because God has a wonderful plan, not just for when you die, but for your life today. And we're going to see today this group of guys that are going to be on the front lines of this thing. And it's going to be a little uncomfortable, but it's also wonderful. God has an abundant life for us. This is what he has for his own. We are his. This is for right now, today. I just wanted to share that with you. You know, we've read Matthew 6, 9 through 11, and it bears repeating. This is where Jesus is in the Sermon on the Mount, teaching his disciples how to pray. He says, Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven your will be done again on earth as it is in heaven that just resonates in my mind in a new and a fresh way it is an encouragement to me and I hope that it is to you because it is a tremendous story and it is the reality of our lives before we jump into our text for today let's just pray together Lord, we are so thankful that you don't look at us with disgust and judgment and hatred because of our sin, but you look at us with love and acceptance and joy. And I know that if you would walk through that door and walk into this room like we just sang, Lord, you would look around with nothing but love And I pray that as we go through this passage this morning, Lord, that your spirit would speak to each of us. I pray that you would move in our lives so that we can be more of what you want us to be, that we can enjoy more of what you have for us, and that we can be released from our old way of thinking, released from the sin in our lives, and released from maybe even bad theology, Lord, that we can stand with joy, where you want us to be and uh, I just pray that you would speak to us this morning in Jesus name amen. amen so here we are in chapter 10 in chapter 10 there is a a pivot if you will an augmentation of the story to this point Jesus has been doing the the teaching and the work and all of that Um, he has been the one bringing the message of the kingdom uh, coming to earth, on earth as it is in heaven. It's been all Jesus up to this point. He has been first the teacher, the rabbi, the Sermon on the Mount. He's telling them the way it is. You've heard it said, but this is the way it is. This is what the kingdom of heaven looks like. It looks like the humble. It looks like the, 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 the contrite in spirit. It looks like the meek and the lowly. He's explaining, he's training, he's forming through his teaching, his disciples. And then after the Sermon on the Mount in chapters 8 and 9, we saw that he walked with them and he was healing the sick. He was um, casting out demons. He was doing all of these miracles. He was causing the raging sea to immediately become calm. Now he's a mentor. And these guys are standing in the presence of God as he is doing miraculous works that they can't explain. And they realize that they're in the presence of God. And then from there, we're going on to where we are today in chapter 10. He is now the mission commander. He is about to send his guys out to do the work themselves not just follow him. because the 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 change is going from being just a disciple which is a learner or a follower or somebody who's seeking to become more like their teacher to now being sent out to do the work on their own now it's important to understand that this is a limited mission that he's sending them out on because we're we're going to see that he's sending them out just to the lost sheep of the house of israel and you would say well, that stands in, in contrast to what the Great Commission is, which is to go to all the world. It's important to understand where we are in this account and what it is that Jesus is doing here. He's, he's telling them just to go to the lost sheep of the of the house of Israel, to the Jews first, and then we will see later to the Greeks as well. Um, what's happening here is the pace is picking up as Jesus' fame is... Um, growing because people have heard about what he's doing. And Jesus wants now what I call a force multiplier. Now, Jesus was in a human body just like we are, right? And so he's going around and he's doing his ministry. He's raised up these disciples, he's trained them. Now he wants them to go out specifically to the lost sheep of the house of Israel so that they can handle that part of the ministry to allow him to do what he's doing. He's not sending them out forever. Because we're gonna see later in the book that they're back together again. And so he's just saying, guys, I need you to do this right now. And it's important that we understand that because he's not telling them that none of these other people are important. What he's saying is, this is what I need you to do today. I need you to go out and do this ministry today. He was preparing them all along the way to carry the gospel. And for sure he was training them so that down the road they could go out. But what he's been training them for now is this time, to go out and take the message to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It's easy for us to get confused and to conflate what God wants me to do today with what God wants me to give my life to. If we look at this and we say, well, he's only sending these guys to this one spot, they say, well, yeah, that's what he's doing right now. But God's got other plans for them as well. It's easy to get overwhelmed, isn't it? With the totality of the brokenness of this world and the work that needs to be done. Everywhere you look, there is work to be done. And we can shut down because we can't do it all. And we think, what good am I? Because I, I can't begin to make a dent in what needs to happen. And that, that's one of the takeaways I took away from this was Jesus said, this is what I want you to do. And so you're sitting here this morning and you shouldn't be wringing your hands about all of the brokenness of the world, but you should be looking to God to say, what do you want me to do today? Because none of us can fix everything, but he can. And the way that he chooses to do that is through using us. for his disciples what he wanted them to do today was to take the good news to the lost sheep of Israel and that sounds pretty exciting to these guys because keep in mind these are just regular guys okay he he picked these guys out from fishing boats and whatever they they would fit in here right they could be a computer programmer or a mechanic or whatever i mean they were just regular guys and so First of all, they were picked out of all of these disciples. He chose these 12 guys and they had to be looking at each other thinking, wow, maybe I am special or something. I'm one of the 12, I I get to do this. And uh, so they're getting pretty excited about the fact that they're in the 12 and now he's about to put them on this mission and what they're going to find out is that he's going to give them some instructions that's going to kind of change their tune a little bit and they're going to become afraid. Have you ever been excited to try something and then when you actually get the opportunity to try it you're terrified? I've got some friends that actually wanted to jump out of a perfectly good airplane and so they went and they paid money to go to this company that does skydiving and For six hours, they went through this training class to learn how to skydive and how to position your body and what all the equipment is and all of that. And as they were sitting there in the hangar, looking at all this stuff, it all looked really strong and safe. And after so much time, it just got to be a little bit boring. And then the plane pulls up and they say, okay, let's go get in the plane. They got in the plane and the plane took off. And they're saying, oh, this is cool. We're about to do this. And in air, the, the, the instructor is trying to talk to them and tell them, but it's loud and they couldn't really hear. And so they're like, okay, I, I probably should hear <laughs> what they're saying because we're about to jump out of this perfectly good airplane. And, uh, but I can't really understand. And then all of a sudden it's time to go. There are 14,000 feet they had grossly underestimated how scary it is looking out of a hole in an airplane at 14,000 feet, thinking you're gonna jump down to these little bitty spots on the ground. And, uh, and then the sign was given, it's your turn to go. Hooked up to the, uh, to the instructor, because you have to do a tandem, you can't jump on your own to start with. And having second thoughts, maybe I don't wanna do that, and he goes. Which meant they went and they're going. That's where these guys are at right here. They're standing here ready to go out and do this. They're thinking, God is, or Jesus has, has picked us to do this. We're one of the 12. He's given us authority to do all this stuff. This is really exciting. And then he gets to chapter 10. And he starts explaining how all of this is going to work. There are three main instructions that he gives these disciples. The first is where to go, and we find that in verses five and six. The second is what to do. We see that in verses seven through 10. And then the last one is how to deal with the responses, and that's in verses 11 to 15. So first of all, where to go? We've talked a little bit about that. In verse five, it says, don't take the road that leads to the Gentiles. Don't enter any Samaritan town. Again, He's not saying that he's not going to go there. And he's not saying that they're never going to go there. He's saying in this mission at this time for what I want you to do, I don't want you to go to these places. So then where do they go? He says, where I want you to go is to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's in verse six. So then who are these people, this lost sheep of the house of Israel? Well, I think one one commentator said it well, and and I I agree with what he said. He said um, that the sheep shepherd metaphor is most likely used to describe the condition of Israel as a whole rather than a specific group within Israel. So you you know within Israel there are uh, people of all kinds of different situations. Some that have intermarried with other people and they're living on the fringes, some that are in the, in the city and they're living, you know, what they believe to be the upright life and all this stuff. But what Jesus is saying is this place is a mess. All of these are the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I want you to go to my people. That's in contrast to the Great Commission where eventually they're going to be going to everyone so that's where they're going they're going to largely a jewish to the jewish people to share the good news of jesus what to do verses 7 through 10 now this gets into the meat of it again the where to go they have no problem with the where to go they're saying "Eh, that's that's good i'm comfortable going there the what to do first of all verse 7 he says proclaim the message as you go Proclaim the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the same message that John the Baptist had been preaching in chapter 3. It is a kingdom prophesied about in Daniel chapter 2. Now, kingdom language is throughout the Old Testament, right? We've seen a lot of kingdom language throughout the Old Testament. And now, as we're talking about the kingdom in Matthew, it, it harkens back to a lot of these. And one of those is in Daniel chapter 2 and verse 48 says, in the days of those kings, the God of the heavens will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. And this kingdom will not be left to another. It will crush all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. forever. This is the message that they're to bring, that they are telling the good news of the kingdom of God, the kingdom that will never end. That is the message they're supposed to preach. Now, as they're going and preaching this message, they're also supposed to use the authority that Jesus gave them. He says, I'm giving you my authority so that you can heal the sick and you can raise the dead and you can drive out demons. This is my authority. This isn't just power. This is authority to be able to do this. He says, and as you're going, just like I did, you were with me when I did these things. Now I want you to do these things. As you're preaching these messages, these are the things to do. In verse eight, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those with leprosy, drive out the demons. He says, freely you receive, freely give. I'm giving you this power to use it at this point, I've got to think these guys are thinking, let's go. We, we know where we're going. We've got this authority. We've got this power. We can do this. This is exciting. Right? Would you be excited if you had that? If Jesus came to me and he gave me these orders, stop right here, I'd be pretty excited to go out. What would you do If he walked in the door right here this morning and he said to you, just one of them, I'm giving you the authority to heal the sick, what would you do? I know the first thing that I would do, I would go to every loved one that I have that's in pain and I would take that pain away. I would go to every loved one that I have that is sick and I would make them well. I would be so excited. I would never sleep. I would wanna go out and do this. These guys are just like us. They had to be excited about this. And yet that excitement is about to change because not only did they have this authority, not only did they have this mission to go out, but then there was still another instruction that they had and that was, that they were to take nothing. Their preparation for their trip in verses nine and 10, he says, don't collect gold, silver, or copper, no travel bag, shirt, sandals, or staff. Okay, now time out. How does that work? Okay, you're all sitting here this morning. What you don't know is that there are buses out in the parking lot. And after I'm done speaking, you're gonna take all of your possessions and set them on the floor, and you're gonna go get on a bus, going somewhere where you don't know. You have no money, you have no phone, you have nothing. You're going, you're going. All of a sudden, this went from being uber exciting to uber confusing, right? It's Like, why in the world would he have these instructions? What what possibly could be the reason that they couldn't make simple preparations for a trip to take an extra shirt, you know, sandals, it's just silly stuff. I mean, this this is not a big deal. He said, "Don't even take your money belt." Normally, if they were going around and they were doing preaching and teaching, they could collect some money that they'd be able to buy food and do that kind of stuff. He said, "No." None of it. Okay, that's, that's a game changer, right? It's Like why, why can't I take anything with me? And it goes to the, to the manner of this mission, the purpose of this mission, to take the good news of the kingdom to the lost house of Israel. I think the next section is gonna help bring clarity to this. So let's, let's go to the last of the instructions, which is how to deal with the responses in verses 11 to 15. And in verses 11 to 15, it talks a lot about greeting and about peace. In verse 11, it says, when you enter any town or village, find out who is worthy and stay there until you leave. Breed a household when you enter it, and if the household is worthy, let your peace be on it. But if it is unworthy, let your peace return to you. If anyone does not welcome you or listen to your word, shake the dust off of your feet and leave that house or town. Okay, so not only are these guys given the instruction to take the message of the kingdom but they're also instructed to interact with the folks in those towns in a very personal way. He says, I want you to go, you have nothing. I'm gonna provide for you through my people. And if these people reject you, don't worry about it. Go to the people who will. What is the message? What is this greeting? This greeting is peace. And this is kind of a, a little bit of a foreign concept to us, RT France is a commentator um, that, that says this about it. He says the greeting "peace" to this house is us no more, no mere formality. It envisions an effective blessing which goes out and takes effect, provided it is suitably received. If not, it will have no effect, but will return like an uncashed check. Imagine somebody coming into your home and blessing your house with the good news of Jesus. As a follower of Christ, you're going to be excited to welcome them in, right? And you're going to rejoice together in the common faith that you have and the joy that you share in the person of Jesus Christ. I have a friend that went on a bear hunt not too long ago and he was out in the wilderness with another guy and it was just the two of them for a week with tents No phones, no anything, just those two guys. And the guy asked my friend, why are you out here? He said, well, I felt like this was something that God really wanted me to do. I don't really know why. And he says, that God stuff's a bunch of garbage. And he spent the rest of that week just dropping seeds, trying to convince him that his experience wasn't true and that the thing, the people that hurt him weren't followers of Jesus, and he was trying to share with him the truth, but at the end of the day, he says, I want nothing to do with your fairy tale. That's all a bunch of rubbish, and I don't want any of it. These guys were running into that same thing, and what Jesus is saying at this point is when you run into that and they won't receive it, you shake the dust off of you, it, it, it's, a, it's a way of saying, dissociate yourself from them and move on. That's painful to consider. The fact that we bring the good news to somebody and then we walk off and we just leave them, I don't know about you, but the people that I come into contact that need Jesus, I want them to hear about his peace. I want to give them that message of peace. I want that peace to change their life. I love what John says in chapter 14 where he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give, you, give to you as the world gives to you, Don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. You have heard me tell you I am going away and I am coming to you. I I am going away and I am coming to you. If you love me, you would rejoice that I'm going to the Father because the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before and it happens so that when it, it does happen, you may believe. I will not talk with you much longer. The ruler of this world is coming. He has no power over me, to the contrary, so that on that, the world may know that the love of the Father, I do, that, that, I, that I love the Father, I do as the Father has commanded me. Jesus is saying, I love you and I love God so much that I'm willingly giving up my life. To think about sharing that with somebody who desperately needs it and to see them reject it, and then to hear that we are to dissociate with them is a hard truth. You think, is that normative? Is that something that we are supposed to do? Or is this just describing what Jesus had for his apostles, his disciples then? It's very important to understand. Jesus had a specific limited mission to send them out and this was part of that mission. We are not God. We do not see the heart. And we don't have the ability to walk away from somebody and say, oh, you're a lost cause. And we're going to talk about that a little bit in just a minute. But in verse 15, and let me be honest, I wish... Verse 15 was not there. Verse 15 is horrifying. Verse 15 says, Truly I tell you, it will be more tolerable in, that de- in the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. There is a day of judgment coming. A real day of judgment. It seems... That there is some gradation in the terror of that day. And what he is saying is if you have been given the crystal clear truth of the gospel of Jesus and you have thrown it away, that it would be better for Sodom and Gomorrah, which are just an example of the really bad sinners, okay? Let's just put it in that category. It's gonna be better for that. You're gonna wish that you had their punishment than what awaits you. That's terrifying. That's absolutely terrifying. But that's true. I think that the reason that verse 15 is in there is to put context to what Jesus is asking his disciples at this point to do. He's saying, I'm not just doing this because we've got to check boxes. I'm doing this because they need to hear the truth of the gospel because this judgment that's out there is real and it's waiting. So is that the way we're supposed to be? Is that the way that we're supposed to treat the lost? Give them the message, if they don't accept it, walk away and shake the dust off of our feet. Well, our attitude toward the lost, I mean, for sure there there are aspects of practicality about casting your pearls before swine, but what we do know about our responsibility is we are to share the love of Jesus irrespective of who somebody is or what their faith is. We are to show the love of Jesus because we don't know what God is gonna do with that and how his spirit is going to use his love given through us to change somebody's life. We can't go in and say, I've given you the facts of the gospel, do you believe it or not? And if they say no, then off with you. That is not what this is talking about. It's important that we understand that God had a very specific message for his disciples, a very specific mission for them, And he has a mission for us as well. He has a message for us to take the good news of Jesus to a world that is broken and lost and hurting and confused. To do that in a way that shows the love of God in a way that people may have never seen. Because we can't escape the sobering reality that the judgment awaits those who reject him. If we think about that, it should really uncomplicate our thinking about what we are spending our lives doing. I was reading a Jewish scholar in preparation for today and this particular individual had a disdain for the person of Jesus. He called him a liar and a fraud. And just reading those words on the page made my blood run cold as i considered if he doesn't change his heart what awaits this guy because he is well versed in the scriptures and he's rejected it and not only is he rejected it but he's trying to convince others to reject it as well there is an urgency for the apostles to get the gospel out in this mission. Do you think there's an urgency for us today to get the gospel out to our world? Of course there is. So the questions that I have this morning for us, you know, maybe he's not giving us the authority to do all those cool things, but what he has given us is his spirit, as he promised, that lives within us. He's given us a new heart, a heart of flesh and not stone. And he's given us marching orders to go out and to love our brothers and to care for the poor and the needy and to share the good news of Jesus with everybody that we can. So the questions that I have for us this morning are what is in my life that is preventing me from hearing God. Now, it seems like it was easy for the disciples because they were standing face to face and he was telling them what to do. You know, God wants us to do things too, doesn't he? That voice that says, hey, remember this person? Why don't you give them a call? Or you see somebody and you think, for some reason, I just noticed this person. And I feel like I should go talk to them. You know, you, we have all kinds of things like that. Or maybe God's put a burden on your heart to do something, maybe to write something, or to you know, who knows what it is. What are the things that are in our lives that are preventing us from hearing God? The second question is what is in my life that's preventing me from seeing my mission? Think about that. Our lives are busy. They're fast-paced. They're noisy. I just am going all the time. I'm going from thing to thing to thing to thing. My phone tells me how to live my life. That's just the reality. Why is that? What if God asked me to do something that was in conflict with my phone? My phone would have a problem. What is in my life that's preventing me from seeing the mission that God has for me? And then lastly, what is in my life that would prevent me from accepting this mission? Maybe it is that I know what God wants me to do. I know what it is. What is it that's preventing me from stepping into that mission? Is it fear? Is it pride? Is it insecurity? Is it a lack of faith? Well, I just, there, I don't have any margin. I, I, even if I wanted to do that, there's no way physically I could do that. You know what? The, these disciples had lives. They had families. And Jesus said, I need you to come with me. Don't worry about any of that. I need you to come with me. If he says that to me today, am I prepared to say, okay, let's go? Or am I going to say, well, you know what? I, I've, I've been really working hard to get some meetings set up and, and they're going to happen this week. And I've got this, all these commitments and things I have to do. And What is it that would prevent me from stepping into the mission that God would have for me? If God asked me to do something, am I willing to lay down everything and say, let's go? Because that's what these disciples did. And while their mission may have been specific for them at that time, what he did there by asking them to go, he does for us today. He does it every day. Are we hearing him? Are we seeing it? Are we willing to step into what he is asking from us? That is the abundant life. To be living on mission with God. We have seen his presence. We've been formed by his word and now we get to step into mission with him. Hopefully we are all in this Sometimes I'm victorious, sometimes I'm not. But hopefully this study is moving the needle on that and helping us to assess the futility of the things that I am allowing to drive my life. And we're letting go of that stuff. And we're simplifying our lives to make the availability for our mission with God. Let's pray together.